Okay, so I'm, I'm blaming that on sickness. I'm, I'm not thinking straight this morning. But you guys can hear me now? Okay, so to recap, I've been sick, so don't get near me. All right? Uh, we'll just kind of sum it up that way. If you are visiting with us today, we're so glad that you are here with us today, a part of our worship. If you are checking us out for the first time online, we're glad to have you guys a part of our worship as well. As you can see right now, we're in a series entitled God's Not Done With Us Yet. And throughout this series, we've been looking at a guy by the name of Abraham and his journey because really he became symbolic of what faith looks like. He became symbolic of what it means to really trust God. And again, if you're just coming in on this series, don't worry. You can join our church Facebook page. You can go to our church web page. Uh, you can get on our church podcast. And, and we keep those things updated. We have a great tech team. They have all the lessons on there. So you can go back and you can catch up on all those lessons anytime that you want. But today we're going to kind of wrap everything up in this series on the life of Abraham by looking at Genesis chapter 18. I wanted to conclude with this chapter. And while you're looking there, let me kind of get the setting ready for you this morning. Three men come to visit Abraham. Okay, now a lot of scholars believe that one of them is the Lord himself, but the other two are angels. And so these three visitors, these three mysterious men show up and they have two purpose. First of all, they wanted to announce to Sarah, Abraham's wife, that she's now pregnant. I mean, she's been waiting for some 24 years since God had promised to give them a child. And now she is pregnant miraculously as she is pushing 90 years old. But then secondly, they wanted to announce their intent to destroy the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, why did God want to destroy those two cities? Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do. We don't have time to read it today. But maybe later on this afternoon or throughout the week, I want to encourage you to go back and read Genesis chapter 19. And you will see just how wicked these people were. Absolutely terrible. But there are some other passages that allude to this as well. For example, Ezekiel 16 verse 49 says, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, laziness, while the poor and the needy suffered outside their door. But then even in the New Testament, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are talked about in Jude chapter 1 verse 7 where it says, Also remember the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the towns around them in the same way they were full of sexual sin and people who desired sexual relations that God does not allow. They suffered the punishment of eternal fire as an example for all to see. And so these people were very, very wicked. I mean, you, you get the point. And so God is going to destroy them. And, and that really affects Abraham because here's the deal. Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his family were still inside of Sodom. And so that's where we're going to pick up today in Genesis chapter 18. Notice what it says, verse 23, Then Abraham approached him. In other words, Abraham approached God. 
And he says, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are, what church? 50 righteous people in the city. Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? In other words, God says to Abraham, God, are are you really going to turn loose a bomb from heaven and destroy this whole city? I mean, God, what about the good people? What about the the righteous people? I mean, would you spare this city if there were 50 righteous people in there? Now look at God's answer, verse 26. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, He says, I will spare the place for their sake. Listen, God knows the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And and God wants Abraham to understand and, and God wants us to understand and see just how patient and just how merciful he really is. And and so when Abraham says, look, if there are 50 righteous people in this city, will you spare it? God says, yes. For the sake of 50 people, I will spare the entire city. Next verse. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? And and, in other words, God, what if there's five less? I mean, is there really a big difference between destruction and salvation over five people? Will, will you really wipe out everyone for the, for the sake of, of five people? And so we see Abraham... And so we see Abraham starting to haggle with God, right? Kind of like you would with a street vendor... And, and so look at how God responds, verse 28. He says, if I find 45 there, he says, I will not destroy it. Next verse. Verse 29, once again, he, that's Abraham, spoke to God, and he says, what if only 40 are found there? And God says, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Next verse, then he says, may the Lord not get angry. I mean, I know I'm acting like a five-year-old asking a million questions. But he says, God, he says, what if there are only 30? What if if there are 30 that can be found there? It's like, you know, who will give me 30? Anybody got 30? I mean, it's almost like an auction going on here. And there's, there's haggling going on with God himself. But God is very patient. He says, if 30 are found there, he says, I won't destroy it. Next verse, verse 31, Abraham says, Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what about 20? What what if 20 can be found there? And God says, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 people can be found there? And he answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Now let's stop right there. And I want to ask you a question this morning and I want you to just think this through on your own. 
Why is Abraham pleading and praying for this city? And some of you may be thinking, well, you already answered that. I mean, that's where his, his nephew Lot is at and, and his entire family. Of course he's going to be pleading and, and of course he's going to be praying. But, but here's the deal. Wouldn't it have been easier for Abraham, instead of pleading for the whole city, to just, to just plead for, for his nephew Lot and his family? I mean, wouldn't it have been easier for Abraham to say, God, will you just save my nephew and his family? And then once you get them out safely, God, just rain down fire on them. Just, just destroy those disgusting Canaanites forever. Wouldn't that have been easier? Right? Instead of going through all the haggling, what about 50? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? Why? Why did, why did Abraham stand before God to plead for mercy for these cities? Maybe it was because Abraham was starting to embrace his calling to be a channel of, of blessing and mercy to all people. Remember, God had just reminded him back in verse 18, God said this of Abraham, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful, powerful nation and all the nations of the earth will be what, church? will be blessed through him. And, and so maybe that's what we're seeing here is Abraham rising up, fulfilling his destiny, fulfilling his calling to, to kind of stand in the gap. And plead to, to be a blessing and, and, and to really beg for mercy for these people. And some of you may be thinking, well, Slate, I read Genesis chapter 19 and these people didn't deserve any type of blessing. They didn't deserve any type of mercy. Well, maybe... Just maybe Abraham is thinking to himself, I don't either. I mean, I have failed God time and time again, and God continues to bless me. And God continues to show mercy on me. Listen, I hope all of you understand this morning that we don't deserve the blessings and the mercies that we receive from God. I mean, each and every one of us, if we were honest, we could tell stories of how, just like Abraham, we have failed God time and time and time again, and yet God continues to bless us and continues to shower His mercy upon us. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, where Jesus Himself says, for He, that's God, gives His sunlight to both the who church the evil and the good. Look, I'm the one sick. You guys are supposed to be chatty this morning. And he sends the rain on the just and the who? And the unjust alike. God blesses us even though we don't deserve it. God's merciful to us even though we don't deserve it. That's why it's called, as we just sang a few minutes ago, it's called amazing grace. What an amazing God that we serve. 
Now, there are three implications from Genesis chapter 18 that I want to leave you, you guys with today that I really want us to, to take away from here today. Here's number one. God has called us to pray on behalf of our community. I mean, think about Abraham. He could have just prayed for his family, but instead he is praying for the entire city. And then some 2,000 years later, Abraham, the blessing for all people, through his lineage would come Jesus, the, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And, and Jesus, one of Abraham's descendants, would die upon a cross. And he would be buried in a tomb. And then three days later, he would be raised from the grave. And then in Acts chapter 1, as Acts chapter 1 opens up, we see that Jesus is getting ready to ascend back into heaven. But before he does, he leaves his followers with these very important words. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in where, church? Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Where was Jesus speaking these words? In Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is saying to His followers, I want you to start right where you are. In your community, with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, with those that you work with, those that you go to school with. And I want you, I want you to be a witness before these people for me. And then he says, I don't want you to stop there. He says, I want you to go into Judea and Samaria. And, and, and these cities were outside of Jerusalem. And they were very different culturally. They were very different racially. But here's what I want you to understand. God's Son is for all people. And then Jesus says, I want you to go global, right? I, I want you to go to the end of the earth with this message about me. I want you to share the good news with everyone that you come in contact with. And he tells them this right before he ascends into heaven. And then after he ascends, guess what his followers do? Look at verse 14 now of Acts chapter 1. They all met together and they were constantly united in what, church? In prayer. What do, you say, what do you suppose they're praying about? Praying about their city, their, their community, this, this mission that God has given them. And, and what is so awesome, as we get into chapter 2, just a few weeks later, the Holy Spirit moves, right? And thousands of people become followers of Jesus and they're baptized. How often do we pray for our community, for others? Paul put it like this to Timothy. He wrote in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3, I urge you, first of all, to pray for who, church? For all people. Now, wait a second. All people, Paul, those 
that I don't like, even, even those who are mean to me and ugly to me and, and mistreat me and, and have deeply, deeply wounded and hurt me, yes. And he goes further. He says, ask God to help them. And, and ask God to intercede on their behalf and, and give thanks to them. And, and then watch this. He says, and pray for kings and all those who are in authority. And, and let me tell you something. You think you guys don't like people who are in politics today? I guarantee you, you wouldn't have liked the politicians back then. Because they didn't think a whole lot about Christians. Nero set the streets on fire with Christians. And Paul says, I want you to pray for them. And he says, this is good and this pleases God, our Savior. Listen, this vision that God has for the world thousands of years ago that he shares with Abraham is still unfinished. God's not done with us yet. There are people throughout this world right here in our community who need to hear the message of Jesus. And we need to be praying that God will open hearts and open doors and give us opportunities to share that message with people. Because let me tell you something about yourself, and that is this. You're not an accident. There will be people who will tell you you are that things happen by chance or things happen by luck. I don't, I don't believe that. I think that those of you who are here right now at, at this time, in this building right now, you're, you're here for a reason. Those of you who are watching online, you're, you're watching right now because of, of a reason. God put you in this time period and in this place for a purpose. You, do you realize God could have created you to, to be born during Abraham's time or, or during the 3rd century or, or the 12th century, but, but God saw it fit for you to be born in, and live in this time period. And, and you could have been born in some other country. You, you could have been born and raised in the Holy Lands. Or, or you could have been born and raised in the Ukraine or Hawaii. And I know that sounds awesome, right? But you weren't. God has you here at this time in this place, a part of this church, for a reason. And here's the deal. God doesn't make any mistakes. You know, as you get into Scripture, not once, and you've, you guys have heard me say this before, not once you ever read of God saying, oops, didn't mean for that to happen. No. God has a plan, and He has a plan for you. Acts chapter 17, verse 26, from one man, He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and He marked out their what church? There are appointed times in history. God had an appointed time for you. And the boundaries of their land and an appointed place for you. And you say, why? Why is it so important for me to be here, to live in this time, at this place, in this moment in history? Look at the very next verse, verse 27. God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him. You realize that God has you here so that people will find Him. Do you realize that? That's, that's pretty awesome. 
There is someone who needs you. There's someone who needs you to be a light to them and, and show them what it is to live for Jesus and, and how awesome it is to live with hope and forgiveness and, and mercy. We need to pray. Here's a second implication. We need to understand and realize we don't have forever. Our time is, is limited. Right? God is very patient with people, obviously. I mean, how many of you would say God's been patient with you? Everybody needs to raise their hand. Right? And, and you think about the patience God had with Abraham... I mean, Abraham knew that he was probably ticking, ticking God off. He's like, God, don't be angry, please. Let me just ask again, and, and let me ask again, and let me ask again. And God just kept being patient with Abraham. And, and, and God was patient with Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't get to where they were at overnight. But here's the deal. Eventually, God will deal with sin. Eventually, in spite of His patience, He destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, he does get Lot and his family out. He, he warns them about the, the coming destruction. But then after that, man, he pours out his wrath on those cities. And hear me out this morning. God doesn't want that for anyone. In fact, you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, the Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think. You know, Jesus said before He ascended back to the Father after His resurrection, I'm going to come back. And I'm bringing judgment with me. And so there were people during that time who were saying, well, where is He? I mean, He's been gone a long time. He's being slow about keeping His promise. And look at what Peter says. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And I hope you understand that about God. You know, you, you start reading about the judgment and some of these passages, and, and people are like, man, that's not the God I believe in. And, and, you know, God, He's not really a loving God. No, He is a loving God. He's being patient. In fact, I believe with all my heart that He's probably being patient with some of you who are sitting in this audience or some of you who are watching online. I mean, He is holding back the curtain of time because He loves you so much and He wants you to come to Him. And He's holding back the curtain of time for your loved ones, for their sake. What an awesome God we serve. He is so patient. He wants everyone to repent and, and be saved. But listen, we have to understand we don't have forever. Our time's limited. And he goes on to say in verse 10 what it's going to be like. He says, but the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. When I was in high school, our family went out of town. And when we came back, our house had been cleaned out. We'd been robbed. And the thing that disturbed me the most is that the thieves didn't call and tell us they were coming. Can you believe that? I'm being facetious. Thieves don't do that. They come unexpectedly. And Jesus says, that's what my coming's going to be like. You won't know when. 
But I'm coming, and he says, this is what's going to happen. And the heavens will pass away with the terrible noise, the elements. The, the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. In other words, when, when Jesus returns, this, this earth is going to be laid bare with fire. It's going to be burned up. It's going to be destroyed. People ask me, well, Slate, do you think we're in, in the last days now? And I think maybe there are some indications that we're in the last days here on earth. But whether or not these are the last days of planet earth that we're living in or not, here's what I do know with certainty. You and I and the people of this earth right now, we are in our last days. Right? I mean, at most we live 80, 90, 100 years which is just a, a blimp on the eternal radar. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how the Bible describes our life as a mist. We're here for a little time, then boom, we're gone. And, and so our life here is, is very short. And, and so there's an urgency to what God is calling us to do. We don't have forever. Time is limited. Eventually, God is going to come back and He's going to bring judgment with Him just like he did for Sodom and Gomorrah. But let me jump in our third impl implication this morning. I'm going to go a little over you. I'll bear with me. The only people that God has to use are, are flawed people like us. Okay, don't, don't lose sight of that. You know, you, you look at Abraham, and Abraham was a flawed human being. I mean, he goes to Egypt. He lies about his relationship with Sarah. And then he loses faith in God. And, and so he ends up sleeping with his wife's maidservant so that he could have a child because he grew impatient with God about having a son through his wife Sarah. And, and then again, later on, he lies to another king about his relationship with Sarah. And it's like one flaw after another. It's one mistake after another. But it was through this flawed man that God chose to bless all the people of the earth as Jesus, the Messiah, would come through Abraham's descendants. And so here's what I want us to grasp as we close out this morning. God can use the biggest setbacks in our lives to be the launching pad for our greatest calling. It could be that God wants to use the struggles that you've had in your life to bring other people hope. Maybe at one point you, you were addicted to something. Maybe at one point you struggled in your marriage. Maybe at one point you struggled with your language or, or you struggled with your faith. In fact, maybe there was a time in your, your life when you didn't believe in God at all, but now you do. And what changed? Jesus came into your life. And I don't want you to leave without understanding this this morning. Those of you who are not Christians, listen. When Jesus comes into your life, He can change you. He can make you a new you. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it talks about this enemy, or this, uh, sorry, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what church? A new person, and the old life is what? 
gone and a new life has begun. In other words, when you come to Jesus, you become a new you. Another great passage by Paul, Romans 7, 24 through 25. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? You ever felt that way? Paul answers the question. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. When Jesus comes into your life, He can change you. I really believe that this is one of the greatest arguments for the validity of the Christian faith is, is the people who have been changed by it. How many of you have been, been changed by Jesus? Here's the bottom line, and I'll leave you with this. God loves you right where you are. But I want you to understand He loves you too much to let you stay there. And because of the blood-stained cross, and because of the empty tomb, guess what? God's not done with you yet. It's not over. If, if you're a child of God this morning, just know that you're a work in progress. Don't get discouraged. Just know that like Abraham, God is still working on you. He's still guiding you. He's still using you to become the best version of you. But also, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, it's not over for you either. I know so many people today have become so discouraged with life and they've lost hope and, and, and they're just... They're, they're down about the way things are going in the future. But I want you to know you always have a future in Jesus. And through Jesus, no matter what you've done in your past, you can be forgiven. All your sins can be completely done away with and forgiven. And Paul even says in Romans chapter 6 that we are no longer even bound by the power of sin in our lives through the power of Jesus. And so I'm telling you today, if you're not a Christian, come to Jesus if you're looking for change, if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for love and forgiveness and, and mercy, come to Jesus. If you're looking for strength, if you're looking for a game changer, I am telling you, come to Jesus. It will make a difference in your life. Uh, this morning, if you want to come up here, we, we have paper, you can leave a prayer up on the cross and just know our elders will, will pray over those if it's more of a personal uh, thing that's going on in your life. But if there's someone here who wants us to pray over you right now uh, for, for God to strengthen you spiritually, maybe for God to you know, help you to make the right decisions in your life, we'll do that. If there's someone here today who wants to know more about Jesus, who, who wants to put on Christ in baptism, you know, robing yourself in His blood, having your sins washed away, Acts 2.38. You can do that today, but come to Jesus as together we stand, as we sing.